What up, what up, what up? Welcome to When the Hunt Calls. I'm your host, Cliff Cadet. If you are listening to this, I truly hope that you are safe and well. Um, You know, at the time that I'm recording this, New York City is on lockdown. You know, basically uh, a serious measure that the government's taken to reduce the spread of the coronavirus. So uh, again, I really hope this podcast episode finds you well. Now, if you're practicing social distancing, you know, quarantining yourself or in a nutshell, just staying away from every living soul, you're probably looking for stuff to do. So to help with that, is this podcast y'all so joining me for this episode is trevor berwick trev is a highly knowledgeable hunter and fisherman from connecticut and he's somebody that i've come to lean on for both hunting and podcasting advice now um i was first introduced to trev when he was one of the hosts of the old east coast bow hunting podcast now he's actually putting out a brand new show one that i thoroughly enjoy and it's called the outdoor drive podcast um listening as trevor and i chop it up about him growing up hunting and fishing and uh, you know what i'm just gonna shut up and let you listen in all right here we go all right trev i want to thank you man for for taking the time out and joining me today i really appreciate it brother absolutely bro and I, i really appreciate you uh I, it's an honor to be part of this and be able to be on your show. And I thank you for having me. Uh, same here, bro. It's an honor to have you. It's an honor to have you. Um, so one of the, the main reasons I wanted to have you on as a guest is um, I, I came across, you know, your podcast a little less than a year back. And, um, you know, saying the, your former project. Mm-hmm. And, um, and since... Since then, listening to you on the podcast, getting the opportunity to, to chat with you through social media and then even on the phone, um, and then even meeting you in person, you know, we, we finally got a chance to meet out at the Great American Outdoor Show in Harrisburg. Yeah. Um, I can honestly say you are on a short list of people that I believe um, embody a lot of the characteristics that I think everyone should look for when reaching out. Uh, you know, to people in the hunting community, you know, what I'm saying you're you're really uh, open with it um, when it comes to sharing information. You're easily accessible. You're know saying, and I know you have a life, but it's really cool the fact that you know you you reach out so quickly when I send you a message. So I gotta say, thank you, thank you, thank you, man. No, man, thank you, man. It's it's truly humbling that you say something like that. Honestly, um, it it really. It really means a lot to me, honestly, because it's something that I strive for, and I think it's something that is kind of lost in this industry, and something that really needs to be brought back um, is to help one another, no matter what creed, what, um, what, what status that you're at, whatever, man. Everyone needs to work together, and and this industry is only going to be a better place by that because I think that it's got totally lost, and watching it grow up from Monster Bucks and Mark and Taylor Drury and all those guys. And it's just it's just kind of dropped off and everybody needs to band together and work together truly um, in this industry. And I think with us starting from the small guy up, that it will definitely help and definitely evolve into something, in my opinion. Definitely appreciate that. So I want to get back into I want to dig into, I should say, um, your, you know, your hunting background. Like, is it 
is it something that that started you know as a kid like you got into hunting with your family is it something you picked up as you grew older um no. i'm definitely curious no i started my my life i've always been in an outdoor family uh i was blessed to be able to do that i grew up on a small lake here in uh connecticut and was able to start fishing. I started fishing at 21 months old, and then my life totally just started to go in a big, huge snowball effect from there. Um, growing up in a hunting community and a hunting family, we just hunted all the time. I mean, that was the food on the table. That's just what we did. Um, my whole entire family would hunt. We would start, uh, you know, state land shotgun hunting is where I started, um, driving deer and and just hunting. You know, we always look forward to that pheasant hunting. I always had bird dogs growing up. Waterfowl hunting was huge in my family. We would hunt uh, Friday, Saturday in Connecticut. And then Sundays, we would hunt in Rhode Island because you're able to hunt on Sundays in Rhode Island. So, and then it just totally progressed. And I've just now just made it my, my entire life and everything that I surround myself with. Wow. All right. Now, um, whenever one of my guests bring up something I'm not totally familiar with, I'm not ashamed to say it. So I'm going to ask you brought up you brought up a phrase that I've never heard of before, which is weird. But you said driving deer. What exactly is driving deer? So, so driving deer is something that more or less they do in the south. Um, and what it is, is it's pushing deer on public land. So what they do is um, some some people in the south, they actually run dogs to do so. Um, so you get on a parcel of land and you'll have sitters um, strategic, strategically placed along, um, say, like, we, we use a lot of hills or exit routes. Um, and what we'll do is we'll place shooters along that and then somebody will go through and drive the deer uh, across the property past the shooters. Oh, nice, nice. It's, it's, party, it's called party hunting would be the other word for it. Um, All right. It's something that they do a lot with shotgun hunting, um, rifle hunting. It's more of a southern thing. Here in the state, um, I believe that we can't use more than three people or four people, something like that. But but it's something that we did growing up with the shotgun. Uh -huh. I honestly don't know if driving deer is permitted in New York State. It'd have to be something I'd look into. Um, but the thing is, where, where I plan on hunting this fall, it's bow hunting only. So it's pro pretty much going to be in a stand or a climber or something like that. Yeah, and for sure, I mean, that's one thing I kind of got away from um, was the shotgun hunting and really took on to the bow hunting and the archery hunting, um, which it's it's something that I'm kind of blessed to be part of, and it was kind of like a weird thing, and I don't really talk about this, and I'll talk about it here. Um, my father was don uh, diagnosed with uh, bad anxiety and OCD um, and stopped shooting a gun when I was probably 16 years old, and then went over to hunting only with a bow so it was something i really indulged in and and jumped in head first um and i'm really glad to be doing that because that's 99.9 percent .9 of my hunting is archery hunting wow so what's the what's the bow hunting like in connecticut oh well so <laughs> <laughs> you're getting somewhere now uh, <laughs> archery hunting here in connecticut is crazy um where i live i live more in the in the rural era area where it's just a lot of farmland and a lot of mountain terrain um which we hunt up here and we get four tags a year uh during archery season two bucks and two does and then you get down in our southern coastal zones and it's it's wide open you you're hunting in areas probably more like new york city where it's 
two acre, five acre parcels, small, small areas, a lot, um, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of houses and stuff, but we can actually bait there and it's pretty much unlimited tags. So we can, one, we can hunt with, uh, so every two does we get a buck tag. So we're given the four tags originally, but once we start shooting does, then we turn them in. We then get replacement doe tags, and then every two does is an extra buck tag. So, so Damn. you could actually, um, you can actually, it's unlimited. So you can shoot as many deer as you want, pretty much down there. Um, so just cool. because there's such an overpopulation, and we can bait down there. Um, but it's a different type of hunt, and I don't really even, I kind of use that word lightly, hunting, um, because you're not really hunting. You're more or less, you're you're trying to, to keep down the population because it's an overpopulated area with whitetails mm-hmm. and with diseases, car deaths, so on and so forth, that they really want you to, to really take care of the population down there. Um, a lot of times, man, you're hunting out of people's swing sets backed up against their houses pools so on and so forth it's a totally different style of hunting so you're actually hunting in like a a residential area then like you can be in someone's backyard hunting if you wanted yeah it's crazy i mean i've been in deer stands and people walking their dogs by me or you can road or you can see in people's houses i mean you're in these like really expensive houses uh, backyards because they're eating all the plants and stuff and they they dislike the deer a, a lot down there wow so yeah. does your so does your, is your county or a town ha- or even the whole state have that um i believe i heard it referenced as an urban archery initiative where um you can hunt you know on residential property like that because um from what i understood i had heard because exactly what you're describing going on in other cities and other towns that they're normally this isn't allowed like you can't normally go into somebody's backyard and hunt like if you go hunt you're going out on public land um or you know someplace close to it more wooded area than it would be you know some the back somebody's backyard and stuff like that so is that an actual initiative or is that just how it's been in connecticut for as long as you can remember yeah for as long as i can remember it's been like that because in connecticut we don't have a minimum acreage for archery hunting we don't have a minimum distance from a house um so we can pretty much hunt anywhere and everywhere so it's not really we don't really have the urban initiative like a lot of other states do um Mm -hmm. and going and getting urban um tags from your dnr officers we don't have that um when you get into the guns and stuff we have to be say 500 feet from a house um so they do have some some laws there so but as long as archery goes we can hunt anywhere and everywhere and there is no minimum acreage um even up by me in the countryside i still hunt some two three four five acre parcels up here wow yeah that sounds dope that sounds dope (laughs) what what's what can i like can i ask what's the cost of like your tags um out there uh so the i don't know right off the top of my head but i know that the archery our archery license is i want to say it's 45 dollars um and that gives you your four tags um for a resident and then a non-resident is i believe it's 110 but i'm not completely connecticut i'm gonna look it up real quick just so you can see it but we'll see uh yep right here 
So yeah, uh, our non-resident regular hunting is sixty-eight dollars, but I know that the the bow hunting is definitely cheaper than that for yeah. us. I think it's forty-five dollars, like I said, and then and then it's a hundred and ten for out-of-state license for yep. So so do do a lot of states do that? Um, where they the out of uh, basically out of state hunters get charged a lot more for their tags. Yeah, that is across the board. Um, how that works because just to bring more money into the economy, so on and so forth. That I know that I mean every state that I've hunted, they definitely they definitely have a a higher fee for sure. Wow. All right. Well, I wanna I wanna switch it up a little bit or switch topics a little bit. Because not only are you an an avid bow hunter, but you are a fisherman as well. Like um, I've heard you talk about it a lot. Um, touch on that a little bit. So um, I've been fishing obviously since I was a kid, born and raised fishing. I started my life um, at 15 years old, working for a bait and tackle shop here in Connecticut, and I stayed there until I was about. 25 26 years old uh on the retail side of it and then i got into competition actually european carp fishing um and i kind of took that for a ways and then i went and i went back to the real world and started working working in the family business and then one day i was like you know what i'm gonna go full outdoors this is what i want to do um and then i started my own taxidermy business but with that i needed to do something in the summertime and my wife was kind of on me. She's like, you got to do something. You can't just you can't just have the taxidermy business and then hunt. So I was like, well, I don't understand. So what I did was I had reconnected with a bunch of, of fishing buddies. And I went and I started working on a fishing boat. Um, and I started working on a six-pack charter boat for a while with, with a couple of my friends. Actually, more towards down by you, Cliff, uh, in Norwalk, Connecticut. And I worked down there for two seasons and then I started working on another boat uh, up in Rhode Island. Uh, I was doing shark fishing and offshore fishing. And then the next summer after that, I worked with uh, commercial fishermen doing some commercial striped bass fishing and commercial bluefin tuning, tuna fishing um, off of the Cape in Massachusetts while working on another offshore boat. And then now I'm on a 115-foot, 150-passenger uh, party boat, head boat. Oh, wow. So, so, what, so what exactly is a party boat? Because I've heard you mention that before. Is it just like you guys dock and then, you know, and a bunch of people like either come up, pay to, you know, come fish with you guys? Or is it like, you know, kind of like what um, they'll laugh, but like a, a party van, you know what I'm saying? Or a party bus, like you get rented out for a day or something? No, actually, the party, the, the party boat, or we call it a head boat, party boat, same thing. Um it's like 75 bucks for the day you show up to the boat um and you get a rental rod and then you fish for the entire day um and we just take more people so it's just it's just we it, we call it a head boat because you can fit more people on it it's just a really big boat c compared to a six pack boat where only six people are allowed to go on we are certified to take up to 150 passengers wow. and you just go out there so it's open to the public you just show up and you just go fishing so nice. we we go out to Montauk and we bottom fish for porgy, sea bass, and fluke uh, seven days a week in the All summer. Right. So it's pretty cool. Nice. So I'm gonna put you on the spot then. All if right. you had to, if you had to choose right between fishing and bow hunting, which would it be? Oh, for sure, it would be it would be bow hunting. Really? Um, yeah, for sure. Fishing, 
fishing is something that I love and I have a great passion for, but bow hunting is, I, I call it, that's my life, man. That's my reset. That's my, that's my get in the woods, enjoy, and, and really spend a lot of time with, with great friends and, and share stories. I would honestly, if you were to give me one or the other, a rod or reel or a bow, I would go the bow side for sure. Nice. I nice. know I'm going to get hell for that one. Though. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm going to get hell for that one. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's, that's, I love it, man. Bow hunting is, is, is a passion and something that I'm just so thankful to be able to do. Um, it's, it's just, it's that primal thing in, in you, um, to, to just, to just take it back and just, and, and harvest an animal. I love it. Nice. So um, you touched on it already, and and I appreciate that because I was going to ask you about it. So you have your own company, um, your own taxidermy company. Um, tell me more about that. So that all started, man. I had started doing stuff with taxidermy. Probably it would be probably like five years now. Um, I started off. I was my family owns a uh, a meat butcher shop. Uh, here in Connecticut and I was working there for a while I would skin and process deer and they would also do European mounts so we would always mess around and I'd help out and I really got intrigued with, with bone and skulls so I was like well there's got to be an easier way to do this right so I went and I started researching and I found these things called domestic beetles which are a flesh-eating beetle so I said I gotta have some of these things so I bought 250 <laughs> of them wow and so I was taking my trapping animals, my minks, muskrats, otters, beavers, stuff like that. And I was just making skulls, skull mounts with them. And the, and the flesh-eating beetles were eating those. And I'm like, I think I can do this on a bigger scale. I was talking to a friend taxidermist, and he was, he was get, trying to do the same thing. So I was like, well, let's do this together. Let's learn about this. So that's what we did. And now I'm probably up to 250,000 beetles. Um, and Whoa. I do... European mounts with the beetles um and I'm probably I probably did close to 200 skull mounts this this season alone I still have a little chunk left um but I just got into it and learned about these domestic beetles started breeding them started raising them started building enclosures and and now I have I have a giant giant colony so it's really cool it's definitely nice wicked, wicked awesome you, you Take the skull, skin it out, put it in there, and less than 24 hours, they clean it up. Then you got to degrease it, whiten it, and send it on its way. Wow. All right. So how many, or you said in less than 24 hours, so how many beetles does it take to, to clean off a, a skull? So I have, if anybody is going to get into it, you got to have at least 20,000 beetles to do Damn. a deer skull. Yeah. And, and what they do is... You, you have to give them just enough food so that they'll clean it because if not, it starts to get moisture and they start getting susceptible to diseases and they'll get diseases in themselves. There's moisture. Um, so the, like there's I'm on a fan system. The fan comes on every two hours for 15-minute intervals. It stays at 75 to 83 degrees. Um, I mean, it's a huge science. Um, I probably... I probably spent my life savings just on beetles to just get these things to live properly. My wife is just like totally over it because <laughs> <laughs> it's just constantly buying them and they are pretty expensive. Um, when I first started buying them, 5,000 beetles is somewhere around 500 bucks. 
when you buy them from a breeder. So you have to breed them. You have to get them up, and then they go through hatches. Um, Your beetle from a larva stage to a beetle is six months to get to a sexual maturity. Then it starts to lay eggs, and then it it totally progresses throughout the process from there. So, Damn. Yeah. That is, is, wow. I, because I, you know, me being totally ignorant to the process, I thought it was just, you know what, you skin the animal, just peel the meat off. I didn't realize, like, um, it actually took a whole other, you know, animal, well, a whole other organism to contribute to this whole process. You know, saying that you dropped this head into a, a tank full of beetles and that they ate all the meat and then you went ahead and uh, cleaned it off from there. Yeah, I mean, you can do it on a there's a there's a simmering process where you can simmer them um, and then it will break it down kind of like meat in a crock pot. And then you uh. take it and then you pick it off and then you can you can whiten it from there. So there is different ways of doing it. Um, I just found that this is the best where the teeth don't fall out. You get all of your nose cartilage and they're just they're a lot more intricate than if you're doing it by heating it up. And a lot of the times with a lot of your trophy animals, so your bears, um, your bears, your cats, pronghorn, stuff like that, and whitetails, it actually, with you put too much heat on it, it actually shrinks the skull. Um, so when you go to get measuring for Boone and Crockett, Pope and Young, so on and so forth, you're actually losing inches. So that's that's more of the reason too why I went with the beetles over the simmering process. All right. So when you when you get a let's say um, you know a buck measured by um, Boone and Crockett or even like um, Pope and Young or anything like that, mm-hmm. so it has to be mounted first and then they measure it, or so their law or not their laws but their rules are that they have to they have to go through their shrink- shrinkage. So you have to wait six months from harvesting that animal to get an official score. So they can be green scored. That's where the term green score comes from, Mm -hmm. um, where they have to sit and dry for six months before they can actually be measured and officially scored. Nice. Yeah. All right. And that's all animals. Yeah. That's all animals. So your white tail bone has to shrink for, for or dry for six months and then they can be scored. And then same with all of your skulls. They have to also be dried, um, for six months before they can be measured. Oh, wow. I had no clue. I always thought it was just like, you know, you harvested a deer and, um, if you, you kept the head or even, I don't, I don't know. It's like you call somebody, Hey, I think I got the biggest buck in the state. Come here and measure it. You know what I'm saying? And then yeah. somebody came out and measured it, but it actually has to go through a process first and then, and then they'll, uh, officially record it. Yep. Exactly. Nice. Yes. Because you actually lose shrinkage on it. So, all right, cool. Well, I want to uh, touch on something that, uh, as you already know, I'm new to, and that is podcasting. All right. So, I grew to know you um, through the East Coast Bow Hunting Podcast, but you have now stepped out on your own on this. You know, I gotta say, it's a dope ass project. I'm I'm already a fan of it, but um. Um, you've teamed up with a couple of guys and I'll let you, you know, touch on who the crew is, but the outdoor drive podcast, man, um, I'm a fan. So tell me and everybody listening, like how, how that came about and, um, what's, what's it about? So the outdoor drive project, uh, podcast project, um, is one that I feel, I, I think it's more or less my realm. Um, the East coast Bowhead podcast was a great thing. Um, we had a, a lot of endeavors. We went a lot of places. We met a ton of people, but 
I needed to step away and start a new project and something full outdoors. Because as you guys have all heard now, is that I'm not only an archery hunter, um, I'm a fisherman. And yep. so I, I found the best team. And if it wasn't for my team and the people that I work with closely, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. Um, Stephen Clark is hands down the best IT guy you will ever meet in your entire life. He has stood by me side. I, on a drop of a head, I said, I'm going to do this. And he was there and he was right by my side. And my other co-host is ghost hunter. Um, and he is just by far the man. He's a, a chef, um, here in Connecticut and the dude is just phenomenal, phenomenal dude. Huge killer travels all over hunts all over turkey killer uh fisherman commercial he did commercial tuna catches all kinds of offshore sharks tuna so on and so forth so it's a dynamite team of just some of the greatest outdoorsmen in my opinion so we've put it all together and now we are the outdoor drive so we we have now gone from bow hunting to everything in the outdoors as far as picking berries to hiking to camping to fishing to hunting to trapping you name it, we do it, and that's the outdoor drive. Nice, so. nice. Now, in the past, I know you had a relationship with um, the boys from uh, further out west, working class bow hunters. Um, is that something me and your, you know, your many many listeners now can look forward to? You guys partnering with them, doing some work with them? Because I know you were actually just at uh, the Iowa Deer Classic. Yeah. And, um, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. You're good. Um, I mean, partnering with them, I'm not really sure. I know that we had partnered with the East Coast bow hunting thing, and they've definitely done a tremendous amount for us and helping us out on that project. Um, working with them still forward, um, we definitely we're still very closely connected, and we're great friends. Um, I did just go and visit them at the Iowa Deer Classic and got to spend time with them. I'm not really sure on a future partnership or of any co sort, but we're definitely going to be working together in some ways um having each other on the podcast and i'm always promoting them man if it wasn't for them i wouldn't be where i am today um mr guyer kurt guyer king kurt uh he yeah. did a lot for me he taught me a million and one ways to go through this world of the podcast waves um and he he believed in me from the beginning as if i you know i believe in him also and what he does is he's the one that curved all this for us guys and and he, he's the one that, in my opinion, has done a tremendous amount for the podcast world as it is for us in in the podcast way. And I and, and what I mean by that is that he, he's the one that went out of the way in the in the deer hunting talk, the deer the deer camp feel, um, being that raw, real, no bullshit talk. And uh, he's the one that put it out there and really curved it for all of us to follow in his footsteps, in my opinion. No doubt. See, that's really cool. I'm a big fan of them. And it's funny, before I came across, um, you know, you and um, the whole East Coast bow hunting crew when, you know, you guys were recording, um, I came across working class bow hunters first. And it was totally by accident. It's funny, I was following some other guys with a similar name on Instagram, and they had put out that they had a podcast. So I went over to Apple Podcasts and I searched for working class and working class bow hunters popped up first. And I started listening to them and I was loving it. And then I'd go on Instagram and these other working class guys, I was like, oh, I loved your podcast episode the other day. 
until I realized one day, nope, they were not one and the same <laughs> at all. And then, so then I was like, all right, I like working class um, bow hunters. So I was like, but let me give these other guys a listen because I made a mistake. I was not a fan, not a fan at all. Really? Um, yeah, working class guys kind of, working class bow hunters kind of spoiled it for me when it came to listening to some other people. Um, so I'm a big fan of them. Um, I've actually gotten the opportunity. Um, well, I don't know who I'm talking to whenever I DM working class bow hunters. You know, sometimes um, when uh, a project like that takes on, you know, becomes as big as it has, I, I don't know if I'm speaking to Kurt or somebody else or somebody running their, um, you know, social media. But the one person I have gotten the opportunity to build up a relationship with via Instagram is uh, Steve. And um, he and I have bonded over um, 90s hip hop and R&B. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's his thing, man. The Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah. Sure. yeah. <laughs> so uh, he's another one just just like you as well. Uh, is really forthcoming with information and really cool with getting back to me whenever I have any questions and stuff like that. Um, so that's pretty cool. That's why I was hoping, you know, you guys, uh, I, I'm glad to hear that the relationship or the friendship is still there because um, in terms of podcasts, uh, you guys have been a huge influence on me. And one of the reasons why, you know, I'm doing my podcast now. I, I appreciate it, man. And those guys, like I said, man, they 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 set they've paved the way for a lot of us to follow behind him them. Um, Kurt and those guys, they just I mean, they get on there, they joke, it's real. And those guys are the same that you hear on the radio that you, they do in person. When you hang out with them in the person, they are the same way as they are on the radio. And that's that's important, man. Just to be yourself and be real is the most important thing in this because a lot of people can see through the bullshit. And you definitely need to be real, um, and that's that's the most important thing. And I'm I'm glad that, you know, I'm glad you guys you you found us, Cliff, because it, it I mean to meet you in Harrisburg and to talk with you was 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 something else, man. It really meant the world to me to, to honestly shake hands with you finally. Same here, same here. Um, so one, I mean, we've been talking for almost thirty minutes now, and it's funny I didn't even get to hit the topics I wanted to hit just yet, but um, so. Uh, like I mentioned, um, earlier, all right, it's like, I feel you embody a lot of the characteristics and traits that, um, I believe all hunters within the hunting community should emulate. All right. So I wanted to get your opinion on a couple of things. First being, um, I think I've heard you refer to them as keyboard warriors. All right. Cause I'm, I'm going to put you on to something that occurred to me, uh, last month, basically, out of nowhere, I posted something on Instagram, and then um, a couple of days later, I get a comment, um, and it turned into a barrage of, you know, name calling and being told I'm not a hunter, I'm not this, I don't do that, and so on. What's your opinion on these people, um, especially on social? Well, pretty much it's only on social media that get out there and they bash hunters on whatever it may be, whether it's the size of the the animal they harvest or how they go about hunting or, you know, whatever it may be. So my opinion on them, honestly, is they aren't the sportsmen. They are not the outdoorsmen. They do not have the passion or compassion for the outdoors. Um, they mean nothing to me. They are nothing but the scum underneath my feet. Um, I have no tolerance for any of them. 
And the reason wow. this this is is keyboard warriors are the most they're the people that bring down this industry. They bring down the people of the industry and they they hinder other people from joining into this industry and being an outdoorsman and a sportsman. My man Garrett Garrett Benner, he says it the best. You the reason why that the people are like that is because they are not liable to get punched in the mouth. Okay, and hey, yep. and this is this is you can hide behind this keyboard, but if if Cliff, me, you, and a couple of buddies are in the bar and somebody walks up to us and disrespects us, what's going to happen to them? Yeah, you get punched in the mouth. Exactly. So so when <laughs> and this, you're and this is a Christian saying this, you yeah. know <laughs> and I'm with you there, man. And and when they're when they're when they're on social media or behind the keyboard, they're not liable to get punched in the mouth, so they can say and do whatever they want. And I think that's where a lot of this gets lost. And my biggest gripe about this whole entire thing, like obviously, Cliff, people like me and you, very tough, dominant men, they're not going to bring us down like that. Yes, it's going to bother us, but they're not going to bring us down and stop us from doing what we're doing. But what it does hinder is the younger generations. Um, When they get on social media and they kill a spike buck, well, and somebody in a keyboard warrior goes and says something to them saying that, you know, trophy bashing, they're going to kind of hinder themselves from being online or showing their kills or getting excited about their harvest. And that's where I have the biggest problem. Because if I'm the one to do it, I don't really care because you're not going to bother me because next time I'm going to go and I'm going to shoot a smaller one just to make you upset. But <laughs> but, but the young kids, they're not going to do that. And they're going to take it to heart. And it's really going to hinder them from growing in this, in this sport. And that's, that really bothers me. I agree. I agree. All right. Um, next topic. All right. Um, here's the day. When I first uh, hopped on the social media and started looking into hunting, um, hunting, fishing, just outdoors in general, I got bombarded, bombarded with a lot of pic- a lot of pics of scantily clad women holding fish. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I'd be in like a G-string bikini holding, I don't even know what kind of fish it is. I can't identify them, but just holding big fish in their hands. Um, then I got exposed to what um, people kind of like to call insta-huntresses. You know what I'm saying? Um, what's your take on that? You know what I'm saying? The, I, and granted, or, I, you know, to anyone listening, male or female, I'm, you know what? I understand the, it's two guys, me being one, you being the other that are talking about women. So please take no offense. This is just my opinion. I'm sure this is just your opinion as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is where I hold on this because this is a very, very touchy subject to me. And some women don't want to be called huntresses because of the Insta stars and the Insta the Insta huntresses and real huntresses are two different things. The word just has the meaning of what you think of it, in my opinion. The Insta hunters, they drive me nuts. Male, female, it doesn't matter. The people that really don't know what this sport really is all about and they go out there because they're going to get Insta famous um, over pictures, that really bothers me. And that really upsets me because they are bringing down the industry in themselves. Yeah, they get a couple of weird old redneck guys happy, but it really doesn't do <laughs> nothing. Um, it sells product, um, but that's about it, man. And and I know that sales, sex sells, right? So I get it and I understand it. But really, they're not real outdoorsmen, and they really they don't understand. But then on the other on the other side is there's there's very good women hunters out there that 
are phenomenal, phenomenal hunters, and they call themselves huntresses. So I'm kind of torn in between the two. You know what I'm saying? I don't like it. I hate it. I think it's disrespectful to women. I think it's disrespectful to the sport um, because they go out there and they look like idiots. And I think that they're honestly bringing down the sport um, than anything, to be honest. Nah, and, I, and I agree. And I'm glad, you know what, that you brought it up because it's not only uh, female hunters out there like that, but it, there's also, you know, men, you know, male hunters out there like that that are in it just for the the fame, I guess. Cause it, and that's the thing. It's, it's funny because uh, I worry um, on my end that I, I'm doing my best. Like, sometimes I feel like I'm not totally myself because I'm worried about people thinking that I'm coming off like that. You know what I'm saying? For sure. And uh, because I didn't get to hunt as often as people think I should, um, you know what I'm saying, or anything like that. But at the end of the day, part of my friends, but I'm like, fuck them. You know what I'm saying? It's not about them. I, I do what I can do when I can do it at the end of the day. And that's basically it. And I think that everyone has to have that motive, man. Um, if, if you shouldn't be doing this for other people, you should be doing this for yourself. That's what this is. This is why this sport is what it is. I mean, you do this for yourself. Whatever your achievement, whatever your trophy is, um, you know, it might be getting that dough. It might be getting, uh, you know, just a buck. It might be whatever it is, man. Your trophy is for you. And exactly. this sport is is a competition with yourself, man. It's not a competition with one another. Um, don't let other people bring you down. Don't don't think that just because you shot a small deer that you should be ashamed, man. Put that up there. Your trophy is your trophy. It's nobody else's. And I have my own goals, and everybody else should have their own goals. And when those goals are met, everybody should be happy for one another, man. I don't care. I'll be just as happy as if somebody shot a small doe or or a big doe, um, and they're smiling. I think I'll be happier for them that they that they achieve that goal than anything. And I think that there should be more people out there that are like that because it's the only thing that's going to grow the sport. When you start bashing people, you're really going to bring them down, man. And 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 like you say, anybody that thinks like that, part of my French, but fuck them because <laughs> because that's the way it should be. To be honest, you know. Nah, I appreciate that, man. All right, so I want to round this out with, I guess, just one final question, man. Like, you know, I'm I'm still fairly new to this, only having been able to hunt three days last season. Um, and I'm trying to, you know, gear this podcast towards, you know, new hunters. Um, so what piece of advice in from your years of experience um, can someone take away or someone should know about hunting for the first time or just getting into it? So the best thing to do, honestly, when becoming a new hunter, in my opinion, is reach out, find all of your avenues, whether they're podcasts, whether they're YouTube videos, there's some great people out there that are, that are pushing out great content and great information. And it's all great and it's all good, but that's where I would start. But you're never going to learn if you don't take the matters into your own hand and go out there and and experience it for yourself you have to be in the woods and you have to mess up you're going to mess up 25 times before you succeed but that's the only way that you're going to learn is by doing it um and you're going to get on uh facebook pages get on these pages and weed out the bullshit between everybody and find the right people and if anybody honestly needs help you can find me on instagram facebook the outdoor 
I know that the team at Outdoor Drive Podcast will will help you whatever they need, questions, concerns, anything. Um, there is good people out there in this industry. Just always remember that and keep that in the back of your mind that there always is good people. And when you get in with a circle, stay with that circle because they're going to help you succeed in this, in the outdoors. Awesome, man. With that, it is a wrap. Thank you, brother, for uh, <laughs> you know taking the time out to speak with me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Cliff, and thanks for having me, man. And uh, you know, good luck to everybody this season. And I hope that everyone gets out there and, and kills their trophies. Yeah, man. Thank you. All right, y'all. I really want to thank Trev for taking the time out to come on the show and speak with me. Um, if you'd like to learn more about Trev, I'm going to hook up all of his info, like his Instagram, his Facebook page, um, and even a link to his podcast, The Outdoor Drive, um, again, in the show notes. So Trev, again, I really appreciate you, brother, for taking the time out to get on here. So if you guys enjoyed that episode, and I'd like to believe that you did, Hook me up with a five-star rating and a dope-ass review. All right? Y'all have a blessed one.